So when you're feeling all that pressure and stress, I think being able to ground yourself in the why you do this work, and if you really believe that the arts are needed for a healthy society, um, you, you, get, you pick yourself back up and you keep on going. Welcome to Arts Engines. I am your host, Aaron Dworkin. And with us today, we have Amy Fitterer, who serves as Executive Director of Dance USA. Welcome, Amy. Hey, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great that you're here. Uh, so, you know, I thought I would actually just delve right in. And for those of our viewers who may either not be familiar with kind of, you know, service organizations or that kind of role, could you just kind of share a little bit more, you know, what, what, what does Dance USA actually do as an organization? And within it, what do you really view as your primary role? Oh, sure. Uh, so Dance USA is a national arts service organization, which is very similar to many other industry associations in this country. We do convenings, research, advocacy, and we also do archiving. And these are very common across associations in and outside of the arts world. Um, convenings, bringing people together both in person with a national conference, but throughout the year in member networks, uh, virtual calls, um, meetings and listservs to share information and peer support. Uh, we also do a lot of professional development, um, education on the latest issues in the field or bringing in guest speakers. Our research is around tracking industry trends, um, financial trends, and uh, operations trends for the member organizations. And then occasionally we do studies such as compensation studies, um, the impact of the holiday shows on a season, or smaller studies on uh, specific member groups. Um, we also track all the known not-for-profit dance ensembles in the United States through our directory of nonprofit dance ensembles. And that includes not just those with 501c3 status, but fiscally sponsored groups as well. Our advocacy, uh, is mainly focused at the federal level. Uh, we do maintain a registered lobbyist on staff. Um, and as a 501c3, many people forget that you can do a decent amount of lobbying. Um, and uh, so we, we are up there with our colleagues in the different disciplines uh, advocating for the arts funding, for arts education, for cultural exchange, visa processing for foreign guest artists. We also work with the broader nonprofit community around tracking uh, issues around nonprofit regulations and charitable giving, which of course is a big issue. And then of course, there's issues that have been coming up over the years around uh, media, in particular one around wireless microphones. And so we've been doing work at the FCC over the past few years. So um, a wide array of uh, lobbying and advocacy issues, um, which of course during this COVID crisis has really been a, a big activity for us. And then we have a new fourth core service, which is archiving and preservation. Um, a long-standing national group called Dance Heritage Coalition has integrated into Dance USA. And now we have a whole group of archivists um, as part of an archiving affinity group, and we have a department of archiving. And so we work with dance organizations to help preserve the story of dance in America and make sure that um, we're not losing all the great work that has happened. Um, 
And then we do a variety of other programs like associations do. We have regranting, we have a national mentorship program, we have a task force on dancer health and so on. So for an organization of only 10 to 15 staff, we keep ourselves pretty busy. Well, I can only imagine that's a whole lot. So, um, and so kind of before I just tap into kind of where, how do you view your role and, and you know, kind of what do you do given that extremely broad, um, you know, sphere of responsibilities to the field. Um, but just before that, you know, you shared about all of the dance ensembles and organizations are out there, maybe not even, not, uh, not even fully 501c3s. Right. For our viewers, what is that landscape? Like ballpark, you know, either how many dance ensembles are, are out there or what is the fabric of dance in America? Yeah, yeah. So I cannot give you an exact number, which is all part of the story. Um, so much dance and so much art making is happening at small budget levels, uh, pickup groups, independent artists who get dance groups together, dance artists together for a show or a particular project. Um, but you know, as you start to get larger in size, it's much easier to track and count you. Um, the last update of our ensemble directory showed that there were a minimum of 1,700 dance ensembles in the United States. So it's always much larger than what people think. Um, because if you look at just the largest budget dance companies in the United States, you go, oh, maybe there's 200 or 300. But there's so much dance making happening. And um, so much of what's happening in dance in the United States is at a small budget and is in many different kinds of dance forms. So we do have ballet and modern and contemporary dance, but we have many, many kinds of dance forms that are rooted in specific traditions. And of course there's tap and there's jazz and, and it just is expansive. There's many different hybrids of dance forms now. So dance artists also don't wanna be placed into a box of I'm this genre or that genre. Um, and so I think of the dance field, the way we talk about it is often um, from a, a data standpoint, if you're looking at budget size, it's a flat triangle. Um, in other words, the top of the triangle is pretty shallow and those are the largest budget dance companies say with budgets above a million dollars but the breadth of the dance field is actually much smaller and working in and out of formal business models gotcha and as you look at that and especially the different forms of dance the different disciplines do you see trends you kind of mentioned about more hybrid and when i think about even some of our students here at michigan and some of my students in my you know entrepreneurship class but who are in dance and they're doing really interesting hybrid things um what would you say you're viewing as the trend you know what do you think five to ten years from now will be the kind of dominant form or dominant discipline within dance or will there be one well that is a great question dominant is super uh, subjective, right? Um, wrong word, yeah. And no, 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 not at all. It's it's actually it's a great like kind of opening into the conversation about what is make what tells the story of dance in America or arts in America, right? And it often is the groups that are Western based um, and large budget. And so one might think that dance in America is largely ballet, modern, contemporary. Those are the largest budget groups. They have buildings, they have schools. I mean, they do a lot of very important work and they do beautiful work, the artistic work. But there is actually so much more that's happening if you take out the criteria of looking at budget size. So I don't know that there will be a dominant 
genre moving forward because there's just so much out there. I mean, a, a genre we don't talk a lot about, but is so huge is, is liturgical dance. Um, you know, I mean, there's just so much happening. So what I think the trend is just that there's going to continue to be more and more exploration of crossing um, the, the discipline, the, the gender specific or genre specific um, types of dance forms. So I don't think we're going to see a revert back to, I fit in this box. I think we're going to see more of the hybrid dance forms of uh, contemporary Tahitian dance and um, things like that. So people really experimenting with different kinds of dance forms. Awesome. Awesome. Great. So what about kind of your role? You know, a lot of times and one of the things we hope to do through Arts Engines is to kind of, you know, pull back that veil of leadership. You know, a lot of times people look at the leaders of this, the president of this, the executive director of that, and they're like, what are they really doing? You know, so kind of given that broad scope of responsibilities that you shared of, of Dance USA, um, kind of what would you say is your typical day or where, where do you spend more of your focus? Is it kind of management? Is it, you know, tackling certain things or certain things arise? Could you kind of give, give us a sense of What's the kind of scope of your actual individual work that you have to bring to the organization? Sure, this is a great question. Um, I became executive director um, nine and a half years ago, so I'm actually completing my 10th year now. Hey, and, um, congratulations. <laughs> thank you. And there really is not a guidebook on how to be an executive director. There's a lot of interesting material out there that touches upon it. But from my experience, it varies by the person and by the leader and by the organization and by the situation. So it's really important to study and learn all these different skill sets. But what it means to be a leader, I think, um, shifts depending on the person and the situation. Um, uh, you know, I also think that leadership is largely misunderstood. I used to think about that with when Obama was president, you know, everybody says, well, Obama did this and Obama did that. And I'm like, did he or did like, you know, the hundreds of, of team members and administrative staff working under him do that? And it was funneled up to him, you know, <laughs> at some point. So um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions of, of leadership. Um, for me, I have um, a, a very, very uh, personal, one of the things is that I came in for me kind of young as a leader. There certainly are leaders who come in in their 20s. Um, and I was 31 stepping in to run a national association. And I had not been an executive director before. So I wasn't really able to look back at past experience and say, oh, I know how to solve this problem. Oh, I've been here before. And this is an iteration of that. And we were hit right off the bat with really big discussions and issues that we had to tackle because the society is changing, the arts field's changing. And I found that getting very clear very quickly on what my values were made a huge difference. If, if I could make decisions consistently in line with my values, um, then things seemed to be moving in the right direction and people started to understand um, that they could trust me, that they understood that I was taking certain factors into account. Um, and so I think leading through values has really been very helpful to me. And even in this time of crisis, they're always there. So when it's very confusing and you could see multiple options of ways to go, and there's a lot of pressure on how you should move, if you can just take a moment and assess your, 
your values um, and try to make the most thoughtful and high integrity decision in line with your values, I think that really helps. Um, Awesome. And then my my day to day is a real mix. Some executive directors have deputy directors or sort of a number two dance USA and many nonprofits and, you know, don't. Um, and so I'm anywhere from spending almost all day in one on ones with my team members um, to external talking with boards, talking with funders, speaking with uh, other leaders in the field, um, participating with my colleagues and other service organizations. So it's constantly a balance of internal, external juggling gotcha gotcha awesome well so i uh, i always like to ask this question of, of all my guests kind of the three things questions mm -hmm. so kind of what uh you know three things as you think about those who are aspiring in dance whether it's to be administrative leaders or practitioners or maybe are exploring that exact discipline they want to follow are there kind of three either benchmarks or you know things that you would say you should either incorporate this, have this part of your regular thinking uh, that will help empower people to achieve their goals in the field. Well, one that I always say to up and coming arts administrators is that arts administration is very much an intersection of many other skill sets. So you really do need to have a basic grasp on business management. Um, and that comes up a lot, whether it's financial management, HR issues, organizational structures, uh, but then you also need to have a grasp, a basic grasp, at least, on legal issues. You need to know, when do I need to call a lawyer? Um, from <laughs> copyright issues to changing your bylaws and managing the board to accepting certain donations or not. Um, all sorts of issues can come up where you, you need to know, I need more expertise than I have right now. And you, at least to know that's a legal issue that needs some support. Um, it also is a um, policy issue. Uh, I do feel like even if you're running a small not-for-profit organization, you really need to understand your local government policies and systems because the business structure is a government structure. It's a tax structure. And so understanding how things may be shifting at the local, state, and federal level, they actually do impact your operations. And so staying attuned and being able to understand to a certain degree uh, policy issues, I think is very important, no matter what kind of arts organization you're leading. Um, and then the last one, which is, I don't know, it may sound like a given, but it's, it's understanding the role of arts in society, um, being a little philosophical. Um, I think a lot of times these jobs really do get very hard. And um, maybe it's also because we're in the arts and we're very dramatic and things are very serious all of the time. And so it's <laughs> like, you know, this pressure, you know, um, which has been kind of a, a strange benefit of being in such a very real crisis is that real drama is what sticks around and all that other stuff you go, oh, that actually wasn't as serious as it seemed. Right. Yeah. But um so when you're feeling all that pressure and stress, I think being able to ground yourself in the why you do this work, and if you really believe that the arts are needed for a healthy society, um, you, you, get, you pick yourself back up and you keep on going. So it's a big intersection, I think, of these different skill sets. So that's one area, is knowing as an upcoming arts administrator, you kind of need to be a generalist in a lot of areas. Um, uh, another area that I was thinking about, because it's coming up a lot right now, is equity. 
equity and justice. Um, I don't know, I don't think arts administration programs are really across the board universally teaching this. Um, but over the past decade, the arts world in America has picked itself up again to revisit this topic. And I think it's made more progress than in past decades. Um, and I, there's a lot of fear that we're going to lose the progress we've made because of this crisis. So I really, this field desperately needs leaders that understand um, systemic inequity, that understand racism, that understand white supremacy and white fragility and are not, can check themselves because it's very emotional, can check themselves, oh, I'm getting, I'm getting scared or I'm getting uncomfortable and to lean into that because we're leaving people behind in our current art systems and we're not funding and we're not raising up and we're not celebrating and giving voice to the reality of the many different kinds of art in this country um, and the cultures in this country. So I think, and I hope that we actually will rebuild out of this crisis um, some, some of the systems to be more equitable. I can't be too optimistic and say it's all gonna be beautiful on the other end because I don't think it will be. But, um, but I really wanna see the next generation of, of arts leaders. I'm hoping that they're gonna have a better grasp on equity and justice and have a better understanding of how to talk about it, how to lead with it, that it doesn't alienate people. Um, one of our strategic planners from a few years ago is an artist based in New York, um, Ebony Noel Golden, an amazing dance artist. And she was saying, we're in a culture of calling people out. And she really wanted to push us to think about a culture of calling people in so that even though not everybody's a good actor, not everybody's behaving well, not everybody has good belief systems. At the end of the day, we do need to strive towards a future where we're all together. And so I really value that, that calling people in. Um, the third one is, um, and it's coming up a lot in this crisis, is humanity. Um, I would like people to pay attention to our humanity. And I think we're doing it. We're being forced to do it right now. We are not working automatons. We, we have family. We have friends. We have pets. We have mental health. We have physical health. Um, we are much more of a whole person than I think the working world in America, at least, has acknowledged. And we're being forced to be completely okay with the children running in the background and that somebody's internet going down and saying, I'm sorry, I have to go. And they stand up and you see they're in their sweatpants. And, you know, like, it's okay to be human. Being human doesn't mean you're not smart and you can't be successful. And so how do we, how do we accept leaders moving forward to be human, and um, and the tie to that comes, and I, I apologize if this sounds a little cheesy, but kindness. No. Um, we need to be kind to each other, and um, I have felt the difference when people are kind to me and when they're not, and I can feel a difference in myself when I've reached out with an act of kindness and when I haven't, and um, there are a lot of people who have lost their lives in this crisis, and you know, every now and then on a member call that comes up and there's, you realize, oh, somebody at this member organization just passed away from COVID and oh, that donor just passed away from COVID. And it really is affecting so many people um, in so many different ways that we should always remember that you never know what people are going through. And so whether you're leading a huge fancy arts organization 
or a super small one that only does work half the year. Um, I hope that we can treat everybody with kindness moving forward. Oh, sorry, it's a little oh. cheesy. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Actually, really, just powerful and goes to the heart of of what we do. Amy Fitterer, you are truly one of the great arts engines that is powering human creativity <laughs> in our field. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you.